Welcome, everybody, to No Driving Gloves. Uh, we've obviously been tardy or absent or gone missing the last few weeks. I think schedules have just gotten way out of hand for all of us, and I failed to edit some shows and get them out in a timely manner. Co-hosts and hosts and everybody have had uh, distractions and forgetting. Mean, I think even honestly, like two weeks ago, I think we forgot to record. <laughs> Nobody even mentioned it. But we're going to try to get back on track a little bit uh, in a way to try to guarantee we get some releases. My schedule's just absolutely gone insane with some uh, new projects and things that are potentially going on with me that I can't talk about yet. The editing is going to change a little bit. Let us know if you like the new editing style or if I need to go back to the more detailed word for word. Right now I edit word for word and we're just going to go to editing blocks and chunks. So we might have a few long pauses or a few ums and ahs and that that gets can get to be annoying. But it should also allow for a little bit more natural flow to the conversation. So that's It'll all. feel like they're in the room with us, John. Exactly. So, listeners, let us know what you think as these uh, new episodes come out. We'll probably try this. I'll bet we'll continue this through the end of the year. Um, obviously, we'll probably take a week or two off around Christmas. We haven't really discussed that, but we'll uh, work that one through. And uh, by next year, we should be back on track. And I think a lot of exciting things will be happening. Part of mine is I'm going to get really if everything goes right, I'll be really, really heavy back into the car world. Uh, even Derek and Will don't don't know the stories or what I've been doing there. Um, might even have another new van in my uh, um, garage on Related. What have you guys been up to? Do we care? Is it anything exciting or is it just... Um, we'll let Derek go first because we obviously know Will probably went somewhere and we'll see if what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. Nope, never does. <laughs> Derek, what's going on? Oh, man, I got to go first. Come on. Hey, it, oh. I, I know you're not used to getting picked first for anything. <laughs> Always last. <laughs> Always last. Thank you. Thank you. Especially, uh, well, just in anything. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Just been, I've been working way too much, as I think all three of us have, and that's why we haven't recorded in so long. A lot of traveling. I've been to a couple different shows here and there. I don't remember the last time we we recorded. So Chattanooga Motor Car Festival, the Atlanta Concours, uh, d'Elegance down in Atlanta, uh, and then a whole lot of work. We're also been bringing in a lot of new collections into the museum, which has tied up some time. Uh, probably the biggest news to come out in the last two weeks is we acquired the 1954 Corvette that is known as the Entombed Corvette. That is a <clears throat> the 1954 Corvette that a gentleman out in Maine parked in a brick vault in his grocery store in 1959, and it stayed there until 1986 was brought out, spent 10 years with that gentleman's daughter in her living room in Florida, and then traded private hands for a while, and basically until two weeks ago when the current owners decided to donate it to the uh, Corvette Museum. 
and that is where it now finds its permanent home. So that has been taking up a good chunk of my time and a couple other donations that will be announced later this year that are pretty big that I can't talk about right now. So well, y'all, y'all had one donated when I was up there three weeks ago, right? Yes, that was the 1977 Corvette. And that was, that's an amazing car. It's just, it's a one owner car, a woman from Northeast Kentucky, uh, actually a wonderful woman named Libby Smith. And she, that was her college graduation gift from her parents. And uh, she's basically kept it exactly as it showed up at the dealership. She, she made the dealership leave the plastic on the seats and then when she got home, she actually took the car over to a friend who did basically, you know, boat interiors and, and different things. And she had them sew up custom seat covers to put on it. And so the white interior in that car has the interior itself has never actually been sat on. There have always been covers on that. And if you take those covers off, the plastic is protective plastic is still on all the chrome pieces of the, you know, like the seat latches and and all those things. So just a really phenomenal car. And I, I will, I don't know if you got a chance to go out on one of the brakes you had and walk around it, but you know, it was a St. Louis production car, 1977, and all the flaws are there, which are awesome because it really tells the story of how production of those cars was done, the fit and finish, the flaws that were in it, the paint issues that were coming out of St. Louis at the time. Just really a, a, an amazing time capsule of a, of a Corvette. I think it's got like 22,000 miles on it or something like that. So, yeah, that was that was an awesome car, too. Thanks for thanks for reminding me that that, that uh, came in. You, that's a 77, right? Correct, 77. That's, that's the only 77 in the collection too, right? Correct, that is okay. the 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 first and currently only 1977 we have in the collection. I actually saw the uh, Corvette Museum YouTube video on that one and very impressive car. You know, it's kind of, you know, obviously one or two things have been changed. Didn't she have a different set of wheels on it or something at one point in time, but I mean it's yes. a very well preserved car. But, and it, it has the, I want to say she, in 78, got the new rims. Uh, I don't have the paperwork in front of me, so don't quote me, although we're on the podcast, so this is going out. But anyway, yes, she changed the wheels, but the original wheels are still with the car. They are part of the donation. So we, if we want to, we can actually put them back on and have it exactly and and now i'm trying to think she may have put the original wheels back on before the donation and we got the other set of wheels i don't remember which way it is right now but uh yes we i mean the the car has all of its original parts even those that had been changed over time are either with the car and in storage right now or they were put back on the car prior to donation yeah i just remember sitting in class and hearing Derek's loud mouth over the PA system going, what in the world is going on out on the boulevard? So I had my laptop sitting in front of me. So I just, you know, went to the Corvette museum's website and 
got on the live stream video there in the boulevard and i'm like huh okay i think i know what's going on so yeah it was kind of neat it was kind of neat to to hear how you guys do that and it was it was a uh, pretty impressive how how all that went down and, and the crowd that it drew that was a pretty good crowd there yeah and we we've got another one coming up this week that we're we're actually promoting pretty heavily because we want as big of a crowd as possible. So I'll put it out on the podcast here because maybe some podcast listeners will want to pop by the museum on November 20th. I don't know. Wow. I better check the calendar here because I almost forgot. But yes, November 20th, the last front engine stingray. Corvette Stingray Coupe is being donated to the museum. So we will actually be doing a, a presentation again on the boulevard. The uh, gentleman who purchased the car is actually a, a one of our very, very kind supporters of the National Corvette Museum. And, and he actually purposely purchased the car to have it delivered at the museum and donated to the museum at that time. So the the very last front engine Corvette Stingray Coupe that will ever be built uh, will be donated to the museum next Wednesday, November 20th. That's yeah. pretty cool. You got to be careful. Never say never. Did um, he uh, purchase that car at like one of the Arizona auctions in a charity auction? Or how did he come become privileged enough to get to acquire that or do you know because i wanted to say i thought barrett jackson or somebody auctioned that the final vin number um for some some charity back in uh january but maybe i'm wrong on that one it happens now well what what you have to remember is that the the vin number sequences are different for the cars so some of the ones that have been auctioned off have been like the last ZR1, uh, the you know the certain last cars, and yes, the the ZR1 that was auctioned off at the uh, is it the the Towers of Hope uh, when they drove the the camouflaged mid-engine in New York. That is the actual very last serial numbered. Corvette. So that'll be the last front engine ZR1, so on and so forth. Uh, so the serial number sequences run in a certain way. And the car we are getting is the very last Stingray coupe to be built. There will be a last Stingray convertible as well. So, but we're, so basically what happened is the museum was also offered opportunity to have one of the last cars and one of the last front engine Corvettes. Uh, and basically we were able to go out and essentially find a, a donor that would gift the, the museum, the car. Does that make sense? So basically we were offered the car and we found donor support to be able to secure that car. That makes perfect sense. Coming from the museum world, John, you should understand donor support. 
coming from the museum world, I understand the um, trials and tribulations and what has to be done. Exactly. So let's uh, see what kind of uh, stories Will can bring out. Um, you had a, a visit with Derek. Uh, yep, that, that was yep, the week yep. we forgot to record. I think you guys were out partying too much or something, you know, lighting we, up the nightlife in Bowling Green. And Derek and I actually talked about it. We're like, are we going to record tonight? And obviously we wound up not, which <laughs> I think we were both pretty busy that night. Um I forgot exactly. We were actually what I... so busy. We had we had promised to have dinner together, and we didn't have dinner together. <laughs> right, right. I think we wound up staying late that night, and that was when that that library convention or something was going on there at the museum. So I don't I don't think it would have worked anyway. But anyway, the last uh, three weeks have been pretty 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 doggone crazy. Um, yeah, I know Spent. we hadn't communicated too much and stuff, uh, you know, offline and that. But I just kind of said, you know, uh, <laughs> I think Will's got a got a hectic <laughs> week with the old paying job, and I'll just uh, kind of leave him alone. Yeah, I spent. Let's see, three weeks ago I was in Bowling Green going through Holly Dealer EFI training. Got home Saturday night, pretty late. Spent Sunday with the family, work late Monday night, work late Tuesday night, work late Wednesday night to get get everything ready for SEMA and loaded up and finished up and uh, get the Scotty D's Denali ready to drive. And then we left out early Thursday morning going let, to SEMA. Let me interrupt you on that because right. let me interrupt you on that as I bang my microphone, but um, I noticed on Scotty's website, and this is kind of about the the uh, car community and that coming together. I know he had some issues with the uh, Denali running very well, and he was worried he wasn't going to be able to take it to SEMA. Absolutely. And a couple of shops and things came together. I mean, it not no fault of yours, no fault of you know anything. It just getting the car properly tuned with the new technology in it and. I thought it was a wonderful story. He, you know, he wrote and published, and I, I can't remember what shop really helped him, helped him out, and you know, figured out the one little anomaly or you know what was actually causing the problem, which <laughs> is just well. Uh, my my dad's always told me part of being good is knowing what you don't know. And the week before we went to Bowling Green for Holly dealer training, Philip and I were you know, working on the Denali, trying to get it ready to go. And it was just out of our wheelhouse of what we were comfortable doing. And I had to call Scotty and be like, Hey, look, we're, we're done with it. You know, as far as the tuning aspect of a twin turbo built to the hilt LS motor was totally out of our element. We were trying to get it there. We just, you know, we just honestly didn't have the experience to get it to where it needed to be. So I called Scotty actually on our way to Bowling Green and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm done. I just, we can put it in a trailer and, and take it to SEMA. And Scotty basically said, if it's not driven, I'm, I'm tired of pretending. Um, this thing was built to be on the road. Uh, if we can't drive it, 
I'll fly to Vegas and and you can fly to Vegas too. And we won't drive it. And so not long after that, one of mine and Scotty's good friends, uh, we were both talking to him and he called Scotty Bradley Gray. Blown Mafia is, is Bradley's deal. Called Scotty and said, how quick can you get this thing to North Carolina? Of course, Scotty turned around and called my dad and Dad goes, well, I'll have it there in the morning. So that's what happened. Uh, wound up going to Hines Racing, guy named Jeff Hines. Took, you know, took the Denali in, basically shut everything down in his shop to get to get it ready to drive to Vegas. Uh, wound up being uh, a bad vacuum leak on the intake manifold. It was a Holly two-piece manifold and. I don't know what happened whenever they put it together, if the gasket slipped or they didn't get the bolts tight. I, I don't know. But anyway, found that. And then it had some trash in four of the injectors. So they were able to back flush the injectors and clean them out. And next thing you know, man, it's uh, just kicking right along and doing what it's supposed to do. So dad got home the same day I got home from Bowling Green and we still had a few little things to do to the Denali before we could drive it. So we spent basically Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night finishing up things on the Denali and getting it ready to drive. And so we left out Thursday morning with a hope and a prayer that everything would stay together and, and do what, uh, do what we said it would do. And, you know, we drove it, 2000 miles out there and 2000 miles back and didn't miss a beat. And it was fun, comfortable radio blasting, you know, heater on just, just rolling down the interstate. So, uh, well, like I said, I just thought it was a great story that somebody steps up and says, Hey, you know, I know it's, you know, like you said, it's out, out of somebody's wheelhouse and we don't want to let Scotty down. And, uh, Got that truck out there, and I saw some pictures of it on display and things. So, and I knew you made it there and made it back all nice and safe and in kind of in one piece. So, right, and we had the uh, Rocket Camaro out there in uh, the Rocket Racing Wheels booth. Car, car got a really good reception there. It was, uh, it it tricked a lot of eyes which is what we wanted it to do with the wide body and all that we did on it. And I actually had people arguing with us that it wasn't a wide body and, you know, we'd show them what we did and how we did it. And they were like, well, yeah, I mean, so So you need uh, to go back and uh, airbrush in some rivets and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, And then the Mustang that we painted for Andy Leach, Cal Automotive Creations, it was actually out there, and uh, that car got a good reception too. So, had a really good, uh, really good week at SEMA. I know there's been a lot of, I don't know, the last the last couple of years, there's been a lot of people talking negative about uh, SEMA, and and you know it is supposed to be a trade show, and there's not. Seems like everybody's getting into SEMA now. It's not just people that are you know, that work in the industry or have shops or manufacturers. It's, it's consumers that are a lot of consumers walking around the floor, 
which, you know, I mean, I, I see both sides of it. Uh, a lot of the consumers are my customers. So, you know, I look at it in one sense that the consumers that are walking around are my potential customers as, as a shop. And they're also potential customers of the manufacturers that are there because they're just buying the parts through me. So, I mean, I, I see, I see both sides of it. I mean, it is what it is. It's turned into what it's turned into. And, you know, there's not a place on the planet where you can have your, your work in front of that many eyeballs that are all car people. So, you know, I'm a big fan of SEMA. I always have been. And, and, and I, I will be next year. I can't, I'm not going to say I always will be, but SEMA has been good for big Oak and, you know, I get to see a lot of people that I only see one time a year at that event and we enjoy going and we're already making plans to go back next year, possibly debuting two builds out there next year. So never, never have debuted a car at SEMA and looking at debuting two next year. Well, that sounds like um, Will's giving us about a, a 48 week notice that he's going to miss a few recordings. <laughs> <laughs> approaching November of next year, and it's kind of oh. inspiring uh, everybody uh, to uh, go ahead and, and call their contacts and get your SEMA tickets, because I will admit, it seems everybody I know gets into SEMA, um, and it I don't think it's as exclusive as it, it once was, and I think... Like Will said, everybody can get in now for some reason. Right. I mean, you still you still can't just walk in the front door. You still can't just call SEMA and say, I want to pass and go. You know, you still have to either know somebody that's a SEMA member or, or which it's not that difficult to do. John, with your, even like with, through the podcast, you could become a SEMA member and get a media pass, you know, so I mean, it, it is somewhat, I'd say it's not difficult for me, but it's it, it's kind of a pain in my butt to get, like, my guys at the shop a pass with their name on it and Big Oak Garage and all that stuff, where I have to go in there and prove that they work at the shop and stuff like that. So it's 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 that way for a reason, to try to keep just every – Joe Blow that's walking around and wants to go to SEMA there. So, I mean, they're, they're doing what they can do, and and I support them. And I think um, that little discussion on SEMA kind of leads a little bit into the topic we were going to discuss or try to get into a little bit, try to keep it lighthearted. And uh seems every podcast I listen to, whether it be a cigar podcast or woodworking podcast or a podcast about podcasting somehow touches on this subject and i'm going we're an automotive podcast we should touch on it and even some of the automotive podcasts um and that's you know we all journey we all take these road trips and go places and i'm not really good at it and i meant to look up an address or two and i probably will hopefully why will or derek's talking but um what are some of the i think we were going to touch on um dining and 
interesting events that have occurred while we're road tripping or we're heading places. You know, I remember doing a road trip because I, I, I don't mind flying, but I always find it just much easier to drive because I like to be in control and I'm not in control when I'm at an airport or on a plane or anything. And I remember driving out to Kansas for the third, maybe, Cars Club car show that Will and I talk about every April, and I think he went to this year. And I drove out in my Miata and agreed to drive a buddy back. And it's got a guy's a pretty good sheet metal artist. I know Derek knows uh, Thayton and that. And uh, I think Derek can probably picture Thayton because he's like 6'2", 6'3" and crammed in, into a Miata from McPherson, Kansas, all the way back to Winchester, Virginia. You know, a good 18 hours or so, and he was so uncomfortable. You know, we just had to, he didn't even want to stop for a hotel. Just, I'm wedged in in here, let's not stop, let's go, and I think we bonsaied back. But does anybody have any cool car stories, or if we're out, a place we need to stop at and eat or a site we need to see, like a big ball of twine in Kansas or something? We stopped at the Cadillac. Oh, well, let's say we stopped. We didn't stop, but uh, we were going to stop at the Cadillac Ranch there on the uh, west side of Amarillo. And say there's but, professionalism. Will's talking and keeping a nice, straight <laughs> face, and, and he's um, being licked. Very well on the head by, <laughs> by a little furry four-legged I was, creature. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh about this, and you had to bring it up, Jobs. Well, oh, we were going to play it cool here, but yeah, oh, no. Will's Will's getting some love. Oh, the yeah, time, time, time well, we need video podcasts. <laughs> a little Coco, she uh, she likes sitting up on the uh, top of the recliner and licking my head. So. You know, how can you say no? Now, now we actually know why Will's bald. So Coco can lick my head. That's right. So yeah, but no, I, she licked all the hair off, and now she just keeps it keeps yeah. it off. <laughs> and and she don't she don't quit either. Look at it. <laughs> so, but no, Cadillac Ranch is uh is a cool place, and I don't know why, but we stopped at the we stopped at the Big Texan and got a steak. <laughs> Did did you try the the steak challenge? Uh no. Nobody, no, come on. Nobody on the team did? Nope, nobody did. Uh there wasn't even anybody in there doing it when we were there, so uh, kind of disappointed in that, wanted to see that, but you know, it is what it is. And oh dude, I'll tell you something that everybody needs to do. You need to, you know the new bridge they built that goes kind of over the Hoover Dam. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, you can walk out on that thing. Yeah, no, I'm all right. I've, yeah, I've walked on the dam, and that's enough. Eight eight hundred ninety something feet above the water, and it's on like an interstate. That's so like when the eight hundred and eighty eight feet too high. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, let me tell you, I'm st- I'm not a fan of heights, and I walked out there. Uh, I, I kind of walk, walked towards the edge. I took a picture and I walked back and I'm like, look, any, any crazy thing could happen. Like a, a, a semi truck's coming through there at 70 miles an hour 
and there's only a concrete barrier in between you and that semi-truck, and then it's 800, 900 feet to the ground? No. No, it's only 900 feet to the water. <laughs> yeah, well, and the water, the water's only like three foot deep right there, I think, so... I mean, I still think the water would kill you. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I, I, I've done it once. I'll never do it again, but if you get a chance, you ought to do it. Nope. nope. I, that's one thing I promise not to remember to do. Well, I got out, I went out there and took the picture and walked my happy tail right back to the car. So did you tour the dam or anything else? And No damn tour. No, um, no damn tour. No, no damn tour. We just uh, we did the freebies. We, did we you did, take a lot of Did you take a lot of damn pictures? Took took several damn pictures. Good. Um, was the water level in the damn lake as low as it like appears on social media? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 pretty damn low. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, we didn't have a whole lot of time. That was on. Monday. That was Monday morning, I believe. I don't know. I can't remember. No, it was Sunday morning. It was Sunday morning. Dad and Scotty went to the drag races, and we was waiting on. Uh, we was waiting on somebody to get there. I can't remember. Oh yeah, Eric. So once Eric got there, he came and picked us up, and we just rode out to the Hoover Dam in a rental car. And, that's pretty cool. I mean, I've been I've been to the dam several times, but I had never walked up walked out on that bridge like that, and I won't ever do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's been twenty five years since I've been out there, so a lot's changed. Obviously, pre nine eleven, so definitely a lot's changed. I'd say a damn lot has changed. <laughs> Yeah, to, before you can uh, drive across the dam now, they've got a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll, you know, look in your vehicle, ask if you got any guns, blah, 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 blah. And so, luckily, I didn't have my gun with me. Yeah, that's a bad idea. No, having a gun on you is a good idea. No, no, no. I mean, if you're trying to go over the dam. <laughs> Mm. so well for me i guess the everybody knows that the kind of the big every year trip for me is old car festival up to back up to michigan where i'm from and and at the old uh old workplace henry ford museum in greenfield village and pretty much every every time we go to dearborn specifically every old car festival trip uh, there is a, 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 and I think a lot of people know, maybe not all of our podcast listeners know, but Dearborn is one of the, I, I think it's still, but I, I could be wrong. I haven't checked in a while. The second largest uh, population, Middle Eastern population outside of the Middle East. And uh, so a lot of really good Middle Eastern food. And there is one restaurant specifically there in Dearborn called the La Pita that is amazing. And so we make sure to stop at La Pita every time we're up there. Uh, Old Car Festival is just kind of 
the one the one time of year we're guaranteed to be there no matter what and go to La Pita for some really great Middle Eastern food. And so that is that is one thing for me that is a yearly kind of pilgrimage, if you will, uh, back there to Henry Ford Museum and then getting some really, really good Middle Eastern food, as I've said three times now. So, and then along the way, there's been some cool, you know, cool trips that I've been on and, and gotten the opportunity to, to do some really cool things. It's kind of funny that you asked this question, John, because uh, uh, two weeks, three weeks ago, there's a, a newspaper here in, in Bowling Green that they do this column on Monday in the Monday paper called 10 questions with, and they just pick random people around Bowling Green working in different sectors of, of business and in, in Bowling Green. And I know one of the journalists that write for the, the newspaper and he asked me if I would do the 10 questions with article. So he sent me the questions and you get a chance, you get a, about a week to write them. And one of the questions was something very similar to this about a, a memory of something you've done in your career that was uh, a highlighter. I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but what I wrote about in that was, and John, this was actually, you know, some of what brought us to get to know each other. Of course, there was the Mustang anniversary there at the barber where I first met you. And then, you know, we, you, you guys were a little bit involved with, you know, helping kind of, get the Henry Ford museum and, uh, you know, classic team Lotus and, you know, some of the folks at Barber were involved in, in the Jim Clark Lotus and, and getting that type 38 back up in running condition. But one of the trips over to England to check on the work on the, the monocoque and chassis and suspension and yada, 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 yada. Clive, Clive Chapman, the son of Colin Chapman, who founded Lotus, was kind enough to invite myself and then curator Bob Casey over to the family estate for dinner. And so we actually got to go to the Chapman estate and to the house that Colin Chapman initially lived in when raised his family in before building the larger house. And I believe he was in the midst of building the larger house when he passed. John, you might know that story better. But uh, Colin's wife still lives there on the estate. and uh, But Clive's wife made this amazing lamb roast with homemade you know, mint jelly. And it's just one of those things that sticks out as, as a memory in my mind from the some of the travels I've had the opportunity to do to actually be – in the house, which number one, parts of the house date from like, I think the 15 or 1600s, which is amazing for someone who's into history. But then to know that this is, you know, this is the house that Colin Chapman lived in and, and made probably some extremely important decisions in. And, uh, you know, you're on the estate that he built and, and, you know, out of creating Lotus. And I mean, just the history that was there was just amazing. And, and 
you know, Clive's wife was just the hospitality and the, the lamb roast. She's an amazing cook. And that was, that was one of my very, very fond memories of John, John's cool thing there. John's just sitting there getting mad and mad and mad hearing his story, Mm -hmm. knowing he would love to have changed places with you at that point in time. As big of a Lotus fan as he is. (laughs) I spent, I spent plenty of time with Clive and, uh, one of the last conversations I had with Clive uh, kind of joked about, because at the time I knew I was going to be exiting uh, my job with Barber. Um, I might be surprised to anybody at Barber who um, listens that I actually knew that far in advance that I was going to be leaving, because it was like, I don't know, July or August of um, 2018, I think, the last time I saw Clive, and brought up to him that, you know, you ought to go ahead and uh, bring me over as an intern to spend a little bit of time over at the shops. But I just never had any desire to. Um, actually, no, it probably would have been March because we were talking about Goodwood and then I would stay after Goodwood. But however it worked, um, it was, you know, it'd be, a, be a cool thing to do. But I just had no desire, still have no desire to travel overseas. I don't know why, but Maybe it's the fact I can't drive there. If something goes wrong, I can't walk home from England. No matter how hard I try, I can't walk home from England. We interrupted your story, Derek. You may begin. But keep in mind, I thought part of this was places we need to stop while we're <laughs> traveling to car shows and stuff. And I don't know if Clive's going to be too appreciative of all of our listeners you know, the six of them that are out there, uh, just stopping by and knocking on the door and say, hey, uh, Derek said we should uh, come by for dinner. <laughs> well, I didn't give the address or anything like that, so <laughs> not like I would even remember it anymore. That was so many years ago, but I remember a couple of years Sorry, ago. Sorry, I took us off track, John. I remember a couple of years ago, a friend of... Uh, my ex-girlfriends, uh, she was on a uh, exchange teacher program. And for some reason, it's really cheap to ship stuff from England here. To send it back, it's ungodly expensive. And uh, we, I ended up arranging to for her to use part of a container that we were shipping overseas. And she actually had to go visit and kind of a cool thing. She wasn't really a car person, but she kind of became more of a car person. She had to go visit the John Surtees at his house and pick up the stuff because that's where our container was delivered to. And John Surtees mechanic unloaded it into the garage and kept it there a week or two until she, she had the opportunity to go by, you know, former Formula One, well, Formula One world champion John Surtees and motorcycle world champion. John Surtees' house and pick up this kind of stuff and, you know, a castle and all the estate and that. It's just one of those cool cool little things that I guess you get to do as, you know, uh, European car fans or Lotus fans being able to play with uh, these uh, cool estates or finding out about or visiting cool estates that most people can't. And I was trying to figure out some of the, you know... I guess my idea with the topic is when I travel home from, um, used to be from Kansas, and then when I was in Virginia, I didn't do it too much because it was out of the way. And when I travel back to Illinois from 
Alabama, I have kind of two choices of directions to go. I can go up the east side of Illinois and come back to the middle of Illinois, or I can go up the west side of Illinois and come back to the middle of Illinois. But when I choose to go the west way, you get almost to St. Louis, and you end up in um, on take Highway 4, and you end up on Interstate 55, and you take Interstate 55 back, and um, you go through Staunton, Illinois, and uh, I think it's Staunton, Illinois, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, Staunton, Illinois, and there's that little place, and we talked about it. It had to be in one of our first episodes of No Driving Gloves, uh, Country Classic Cars. Uh, they had a fire back in early 2017, I believe it was, late 2017, um, something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, lost 150 cars in a building, and they swore to rebuild and come back and kind of rebuilt their building only to almost immediately. Um, yeah, because it was like September or August they had the uh, fire, and I think late November, early December or something, they ended up with the a tornado came through and took out the brand new building. Uh, but it's it's kind of a cool place to stop because I always like stopping at these weird used car lots. You know, they have a ton of classics there, cool cars you've never seen before. Uh, ex-wife and I stopped there once when we were living in Kansas, I think it was, and thought about buying a Subaru 360. And then, you know, this is 1998, 99, before the micro cars were really catching on. Uh, they had a Bradley GT2, which is always, I think we've talked about my love for weird and odd things like Bradley's. You know, a couple things like that. I, for the longest time, um, I wanted a um, Buick Roadmaster station wagon from the mid-90s. And they had two of them parked alongside the building. Saw that on a couple of trips. And so that's just always a wide variety. The prices are always reasonable. Um, and just That's one of the little used car lots I like to stop at. Across the street, there's an antique mall that's got some huge fiberglass sculptures and they have one of the um and i'm forgetting the name of a little ufo fiberglass houses there's only like 20 25 left in the world and they have one out front so just kind of a little cool area to see it's virtually right there on route 66 if you travel the old route 66 and just kind of makes for a cool place to stop and visit and maybe spend a couple of bucks on some junk that you don't need um I think it's a lot different than uh, the Volo Auto, Muse- Auto Museum, which is a museum where you can buy stuff, and they have the antique mall and that. But Volo is more to me of a tourist trap, and this place in Staunton is just a kind of a cool used car dealership. Uh, I think, you know, so just one of the little places that I go on my regular escapades and traveling, you know. I never try to hit the same restaurant twice. I don't know anything really legendary had a really good meal at a Italian place, one of the best Italian meals I've ever had at a little place in Bristol. Um, I don't know if it was Virginia or Tennessee, but in Bristol we were going through for, uh, uh, I think going up to Watkins Glen or something for a Lotus event or something, and we ended up stopping there. So uh, just, I don't know. (laughs) Unfortunately, when when we travel, it's... We're generally running behind, 
and we're trying to get from point A to point B as quick as possible. And so making, making stops sometimes just is not, you know, it just don't work period. That's, now, how, what, that's how I've always traveled. I want to get in the car, get where I'm going and not take a break. But the last few years I've gotten a little bit better at that and, you know, breaking up, you know, 12 hour trips or 10 hour trips into two days, you know, granted I'm, I'm doing it more for fun, not for work, but, uh, like you, but I think as you get a little bit older and mature, you'll, you'll, you'll learn to do that. It's probably one of the reasons your dad likes to, <laughs> to drive the way he does is peace, uh, and, peace and quiet. And <laughs> yeah, he, he, he always wants to leave a day early, but when he, when he's ready to come home, it's uh it's come home as hard as he can so you know we took two and a half days going to SEMA and two days coming home so i mean i i have no problem traveling a thousand miles a day uh, i've been doing it since i graduated high school i mean it was it was 998 miles from my doorstep to my my parking lot in McPherson and I'd do it in a day. It's a long day, but you know, get it over with. Let's get where we're going. I used to be able to do that and the the, the trip I think that killed me is I drove from McPherson to Scottsdale um, one year for my Barrett Jackson internship. And that was like fourteen or fifteen hours I had my Dodge Ram extended cab, long bed, so massive truck, and you know going through you know going through the mountains, speed limit eighty five miles an hour, and of course I always have to try to exceed the speed limit in a tr- ill handling truck, and that far into the journey, you know nine or ten hours into the journey at that point, it just kind of killed me, and then I don't e- I don't even remember a bit of the trip coming back. But I, that that's where I finally decided, nah, 12 hours is enough. And ten now I say 10 hours is enough. And lately it's been, you know, six or eight hours. But I have 10 years on you, so I, I'm old. You know, I'll say that's uh, when I, of course, growing up in Michigan and then moving to near Saginaw, moving to Detroit area when I was off to college and working at Henry Ford and then driving home back and forth about two hours wasn't bad. Yeah. One way. And then moved to Cleveland. That was about four and a half hours back home, roughly to my, to where I grew up. And uh, now that I've moved to Kentucky and it's about eight and a half to nine hours and I'm getting older I'm starting to agree with John here that, eh, you know, eight hours, it's, it's an okay drive. I mean, anything more than that, it's, I mean, cars are, plenty of cars are comfortable, but sitting that long, it just, it's not comfortable. I mean, I don't know. I can't even sit on a day off at home. I can't sit on the couch for an hour without wanting to get up and walk around and it's just it's maybe it's just not in our nature to sit that long you know the three of us who 
all like to work on things and, and use our hand, excuse me, use our hands. I got the hiccups over here all of a sudden use our hands and, and be in the garage or doing whatever we do. But that's, that's what I find. I just find that it's to sit that long is just uncomfortable. I, I get twitchy and I got to get up and do something. We left, uh, Pomona, California uh, on Sunday night at nine o'clock. This has been a couple of years ago. And Pomona was 2,400 miles, 2,500 miles. We pulled back into the shop driveway at Tuesday morning at nine o'clock. Left Sunday night. Got to the shop Tuesday morning. The only thing we stopped for was fuel and food, and you know that was that was it. We drove from Pomona to Alabama nonstop. That was crazy. How many guys though? Two. Oh, oh, ah. Mm. <laughs> maybe if it was three, maybe not, ugh, not two. Not not in a toter home or nothing like that. We were in a dually. But we were ready to get home. So <laughs> that's probably one of the craziest things I've ever done as far as, you know, traveling. But Now, I will say there was one point where a friend of mine and I started seriously laying down some thoughts and putting together some plans about possibly making an attempt to break the cross-country cannonball run record. And had we gotten a little further into that that probably would have been you know, enough of a, a challenge that i would have been up for driving straight through but unfortunately we passed on the idea of attempting to do that and possibly owing a whole lot of money to certain jurisdictions or spending a lot of time behind certain jurisdictions you know steel bars in inside of a jailhouse but that that would probably be about the only thing even now that would make me want to attempt to drive anywhere near more than eight to ten hours in a day (laughs) (laughs) what is the coast to coast record i was trying to remember because i just just watched a vin wiki youtube about that um it's head by, held by um, Ed Bolin, I believe, who runs the um, uh, wiki page. He did it. I think a, he did it. 32 hours and 51 minutes. Um, mm, no, I think it's lower than that. No, right 32 now. hours is the cannonball. Uh, yeah. La- yeah, Atlanta man shatters. This is it. Yeah, it took, took him six years of planning to do it. Um, yeah, that's Ed in that picture in the blue shirt. I know that helps everybody. Uh, under 29 hours. 
hours. 28 hours, yes. 50 minutes. No. Yep. Yeah, and he, he planned for six years, big, massive fuel cells and stuff in the car. And if you watch, here, here, let me plug some YouTube. If you watch VinWiki, there's a lot of stories. A lot of the guys on there will talk about their cannonball days and their coast to coast runs and their high speed adventures and their road rallies. And it's really interesting. I think I complained about the show a week or two, uh, one of our last episodes, you know, one of the last few episodes that we released about some guy on there being very arrogant and, you know, talking about $10,000 cash and get, how he cheated the law. A lot of these stories are when they get stopped and what they talk and how they responsibly drive. And that's one of the things that, uh, that whatever this uh, clip was, if I can think of the clip, I'll put it on our Facebook page or find the clip again. Um, and this guy was talking about Ed is the way he drives. He never he never makes people mad. The guy narrating said, you know, when I drive and I'm, I'm passing somebody, I get right up on the, you know, the rear bumper, shoot around him and come back over as fast as I can. When Ed's driving, reminds me how I pass people. I come, you know, come up behind him on a two lane road and I give him a little bit of room. Number one, I can see a little bit easier. And then I go around him and I take my time getting back over, you know, unless mm-hmm. you know semi's coming after me. You know, you're not cutting them off. You're being polite. And I, I, I personally think it upsets the person you're passing, you know, a lot less. And um, you can kind of tell that when they catch up to you at the next stoplight or something because, you know, I'm not racing cross country on a rally. But, you know, there's it's one of the things I do like about it is they show you that you if you want to speed across the country and do these rallies, you can do it with respect and um Kind of be nice about doing it, but so yeah, just going with your uh, cross country thing. There's no way I could do a cannonball or a coast to coast land speed record. Um, I knew somebody who did the new, you know, the new cannonball where they race in a circle and go various racetracks, and even that kills you. And they stay at hotels every night, and it's just, you know. It's just that intense concentration that speed requires and, you know, averaging 130 miles an hour or whatever for 20, 29 hours is, uh, that's a lot of brain power. Mm-hmm. I think his average speed was 98 miles an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. One or two, uh. Um, yeah, so I, I think I said which which one is the coast to coast because I, I might have said Cannonball, but it's yeah. There's there's two different ones. You got the Cannonball, and then you got one from the, the Cannonball Run is the one Brock Reates created, and it was New, right. New York to Los Angeles. So it's kind of you know coast to coast. There was another one, and they just this year was their final running of it, and I think they did it the last eight or ten years called the C2C race, which is was effectively the cannonball or a tribute to the cannonball. Um, yes. And, but the one that the one that Ed Ed, right? Yeah. That's the guy that holds the record right now. Um that's still that and that's done completely in secret, obviously. There's you have to hire a, a timing organization that right. 
keeps it secret that they're timing you and so on and so forth. So it's all on the up and up. Well, as up and up as it can be, that that was kind of contradictory, wasn't it? Uh, (laughs) But, but yeah, because you have to start at the parking garage in Manhattan and you have to end at the hotel. See, when when I we we researched it for and we're putting together plans for probably about a solid year when we were thinking about doing it. And at that time I could remember exactly the name of each place and details about certain routes to take and uh god it's the red red something garage in Manhattan and then it's the port Anyway, that big hotel on the coast by L.A. And uh, yeah, it's it's still, if I remember right, that that's still the cannonball run that they record that they call it. But I wonder how many people try to attempt it every year. It's a good question. I don't know that we'd ever know. Um, actually, if you. <laughs> Watch some of the Vin Wiki stuff. Well, yes, <laughs> they, if you they, watch that. They, they talk about it and that. And usually, I'm trying to remember, the last C-to-C-Race, to race, I think they said 63, it was like 60, as peop, 60 or so people were entered, 40 actually showed up, and somewhere in the low 20s actually completed due to mechanical failures or serious jail (laughs) i mean you know if you're if you're legitimately going for the record you could be screwed by the time you got out of manhattan so i mean what do you are 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 you you're close to you know you're close to the record you've made up time and bam you hit a wreck in la and there's no way around it you you know you just spent all of this time for nothing well that's um the the video that I was talking about, the guy was narrating it and he had been asked to go on this drive and he had been asked to go on this drive with Ed and he said, yeah, I do it. And then all of a sudden, six years later, he gets a call and he was unable to do it. And he said, he'll do it, definitely do it the next time. And all of a sudden that talking made me forget my point, but it's, you know, it's a lot of planning. And he admitted that Oh, all of a sudden, you know, you get a, a police stop that takes 30 minutes. You get a long rest stop. You get somebody slow in front of you in the bathroom. Uh, you know, anything can uh, well, can just blow that whole record out of the water. And you're, you're right. You know, you get to Los Angeles and all of a sudden you get caught in, you know, one little freak thing that delays you 15 minutes and you miss. But that's the challenge. That, you that's know, part that's of fun. it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, say NASCAR racing and, you know, you get a flat tire on the last lap after <laughs> leading, you know, mm-hmm. 90% of the race. Yeah, but you got to race next week. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, it's it's a one, two time a year deal. Of course, you're going to calculate it. So, you you know, you're coming hopefully through L.A. during the middle of the night and, you know, you're going to leave Manhattan at two o'clock in the morning and blah, 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 whatever. But. I remember when I lived in Virginia, there was a um, one of these rallies that started downtown Washington, D.C. and was terminating somewhere in, uh, I want to say, San Francisco. 
And coming out of D.C., Interstate 66 is the the big route. And they started at like 3, 3.30 in the morning. Supposedly by 6 in the morning, they had busted like 14 guys in excess of 150 miles an hour on, <laughs> on Interstate 66. And you know, Virginia is not a good place to get caught going that fast. Uh, but it's, you know, it's it's the nature of the game. It's something, you know, sometimes it's the fun. Um, I mean, but I think if you're responsible and, and it's one of the things when we get Adam Martin back on, he he, he kind of helps and tr- plan some of these road rallies. I don't know if they're necessarily the high speed stuff that Ed does. Maybe maybe even though Ed's got this huge, hugely successful um, um, YouTube channel, maybe he could make an appearance and help talk about this because the stuff's fascinating to me. I mean, we all grew up with Cannonball Run, the movie, and you know, Brock Yates and doing it, you know, setting, he set the record in a Ferrari Daytona. And for some reason, I know way too much about this cross-country racing to have never done it before. Well, you know, John, my friend might still be interested. You could be the third third person. There's one thing I'm pretty certain you're right, Derek. It requires money. <laughs> especially if you get caught. There was a reason after a year we we really kind of stopped planning because we really figured out that neither of us had enough money to get out of what trouble we might get into. And it's like I, I used to uh, always carry a hundred bucks cash in my glove box. This is back in late 80s, you know, high school, you know, just after high school. Used to carry a hundred to three hundred dollars cash in the glove box because... If I did something that cost more than that for bail, I probably deserved to be in jail, <laughs> at least overnight. So, And then it happened. But that's a story for another episode. <laughs> oh, are we going to have the night in jail episode? Awesome. <laughs> the night in jail? <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I'll be out on that one. Although I would like to listen. I was going to say it's it's going to be the John show that night it sounds like. Now we can talk about nights I should have went to jail. <laughs> Cuz there's a lot of those. We we could do that and have episodes for weeks when that, that, <laughs> it comes to me and you know I, I at one point in my high school days I was on court supervision which was a thing you could do in Illinois which meant you got a speeding ticket, or in my case, I got a speeding ticket, and you went to court, and you instead of paying $50, which is what a speeding ticket cost at the time, you usually paid 180 to $300, and they put you on court supervision, which means if you didn't get another ticket or violation or anything for whatever time frame, um, they would basically dismiss your ticket and you wouldn't be found guilty. And it was but basically, if you got caught in any county, any state, I was on court supervision in three counties at the same time. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got caught. Uh, no, um, oh. I, I think uh, all those got dismissed in that. But there was a point that I did get the Illinois didn't do points back then. You got three tickets in a year and. Um, you get three tickets in a year, you get a suspension. So I got the three tickets in a year. I got the suspension. I did the class, which allowed me to have a probationary license, which means you could do anything you want 
it's just you had a probationary license and um I got stopped one night and then got stopped the next night. <laughs> so long stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. The hardest leg of the twenty eight hour and fifty minute cannonball record. <laughs> record breaking cannonball run. Uh, looks like I'm going to get a... Oh, yeah, the... Uh, while we're talking about that, and there one of the uh, Winwicky things in that, there's a coast-to-coast record for a Tesla Model S, and another guy was trying to do it recently in his Tesla, and he firmly believes Tesla knew he was um, trying to break the record, and he got... He said, you know, he was ahead of the time breaking the record, Started in L.A. and was going to New York or somewhere on the East Coast. When he got to St. Louis to pull into the charging station, because he knew if you if you ran a te- you run a Tesla to a certain point in the battery, it'll charge extremely fast. You don't run the battery completely dead. It's like 10 or 15 percent. And when he stopped to plug it in, the car all of a sudden didn't recognize the charger. And he went to another charger, and the car didn't recognize a charger. And he believed it was... Uh, Tesla probably sending um, a software update to his car is not to charge, and he ended up having to have it towed to a dealership, and they had to reboot the entire system, and now all of a sudden his car would recognize the charger, and then there was some something else that the car diagnosed wrong with that he said in all the years he's known Teslas, that he's never known another Tesla to have that problem, so... I guess Musk really isn't a big fan of those uh, cross-country jaunts either in his cars. Yeah, you know, and going back on that, why would you want a car that somebody could shut down anytime they wanted to shut down? Well, we can get into a whole... Ooh, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> a whole nother episode when we decide to uh, do, do electric cars and things again about... Um, because... One of our first episodes was um, electrifying cars, and we talked about Tesla. And, you know, that was two and a half years ago now. And at the time we did the episode, you know, 2013 was when Teslas really started to come out, the Model S. So we were only talking about three-year-old cars. Now we're talking about six-year-old cars and seven-year-old cars in some cases. But but here's the thing. And and some of the failures are coming through now. Right, but but here's the thing too. And Will, if I remember right, your wife's got a a new GMC or Chevy. Which which one is it? It's Tahoe it's or it's a Yukon. Yukon, Yukon, and uh, you know those. It's not just Tesla. I mean, those vehicles can be shut down just as easily. They've got the OnStar oh, yeah. connections. Uh, Ford's got, what is, what is Ford's called? Uh, sync. Sync. Thank you. The Ford sync. Uh, you know, so Chrysler's got, you can't, yeah, you can't say it's just somebody like Tesla with the electric cars anymore. It's all of them that can shut the car down. Well, they can shut it down, but Tesla can, you know, you know, maybe mess they, with it. Yeah, maybe they didn't. You know, they didn't have to necessarily make it reject a charger if that is the case. Um, presumably that is, but you know, I'm just repeating what I was told. I'm not accusing Tesla or anything here. This is but, pure speculation, Elon. But, 
yes. pure speculation. <laughs> but they, we love what you're doing with SpaceX. And, and if you'd like to come and talk about us about it, Elon, you're more than welcome. We'll have you on the podcast anytime. Um, but they could have reduced the power to the car. They could have, um, if you remember back when we had the hurricanes in Florida, they sent an up over-the-air update that allowed the cars that were purchased with smaller battery packs to have extended driving range, like the cars with the bigger battery packs or whatever. And, you know, they could have reduced, you know, the time this guy had between charging, you know, and there's a lot of control that Tesla has with these over-the-air updates that's beyond um, OnStar and that, because you still have to, I think we talked... Maybe it wasn't one of the episodes that came out, but I talked about the guy with his CTSVs and his ZR1s that he believes when they go in for their first service, they get a reflash of the ECU that detunes everything to make sure that they'll make the warranty in that. Um, and you still have to bring you know a lot of that stuff in. It can't be done over the air, but there is control and... Well, you know, a lot of these systems are monitored. It's hard to say what uh, Ford transmits um, through, you know, through the GPS or somebody transmits back to the manufacturers through the GPS. It's it's a country of being watched, and yeah, that's a whole nother episode. I mean, I'll be honest. I was doing uh, software updates for computers today in a store, and uh, one of the little things are... Um, activate the cameras and there I was supposed to activate the cameras on these laptops so that if you're using these laptops in the store it will take an image of you so it knows who's using the laptop uh, I don't know if that's a quote a security thing or a tracking thing or what but never really thought that when I go into Best Buy or Sam's Club or you know Staples or you know, name your electronic store. Uh, none of the places I've mentioned were on that list or where I visited. It's uh, that the laptop would be watching me. You know, it's just the world we live in. And now we're into my, the new cons- the no driving glove conspiracy theory <laughs> podcast. But with that, uh, we've really dabbled a lot tonight. I don't know if we, we touched on a lot of things, but I'm going to go to bed, guys. Me too. Plus, my computer's about to die, so, you know. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Let every, Everybody let us know what you think of this new editing style. Um, like I said, I'm not going back and chopping a lot. We're going to hear the ums and ahs and oohs and whatever else. And and maybe next week we'll actually talk about cars. Well, we really got into it a little bit. Maybe we'll watch some VinWiki and we'll really discuss... Uh, <laughs> Getting the no driving gloves cannonball run team together. We it, yeah, just I'm down. whoever listens and has a lot of money. Yeah, we need a sponsor. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> Sponsors are good. I'm out of here, guys. Later. Later. Talk to you guys next week. Peace.